Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I'll be starting the webinar in just a moment. For now, I'm going to wait while everyone logs in. to better connect asset management data and teams with asset management systems to drive connected knowledge. And of course, that knowledge depends greatly on best practices in condition-based maintenance. So that's why this series of webinars explores reliability maintenance strategies. And that's why we feature speakers from a variety of expert backgrounds. Before the presentation, we do have a few housekeeping items to go over. Today's session is being recorded, so the phone lines will be muted to minimize background noise. We'll save time after the presentation for your questions. If questions come up during the presentation, you are welcome to use the questions feature on GoToWebinar to submit comments as we go. So take a minute now, find the questions tool in the dashboard. At the end of the talk, I'll share as many of your questions as time allows for our presenters to answer. If we have unanswered questions at the end, we'll follow up with written answers. If you'd like to receive the slides from today's presentation, please let us know during the survey that will appear at the end of today's session. A recording of this webinar will be available on the Excelix.com website within a day or two. All right, so that's it for housekeeping and now on to the main event. Today, we are very pleased to have with us Kevin Clark, Vice President at Fluke Reliability and Matt Midas, Vice President of Performance Management at Cohesive Solutions. They will be presenting on how to ensure quality data drives your maintenance practices. Kevin is Vice President at Fluke Reliability. He has more than 25 years of experience in operations leadership focusing on engineering, asset management, IT, supply, manufacturing automation, and safety systems. A Fluke leader since 2016, he previously served as a Senior Practice Director for Proficient, as a Manufacturing Engineer at Caterpillar, and held positions at Johnson & Johnson, including Manufacturing Equipment Excellence, ME2 Global Leadership. Clark is a long-standing member of the Society of Maintenance and Reliability Professionals and has been a certified maintenance reliability professional since 2004. Welcome, Kevin, and thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Leah, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Our second presenter is Matt Midas. Matt is Vice President of Performance Management at Cohesive Solutions, where he helps customers align people, processes, and data to corporate objectives. He has been a leader in the maintenance and reliability industry for more than 30 years. A graduate of the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, he has served aboard U.S. flag merchant vessels and commissioned in the U.S. Navy, serving aboard the USS Jesse L. Brown, FF1089. He has held several positions at the Charleston Navy Shipyard, at PSDI MRO Software, at Genesis Solutions, and at Salofi Prometheus, where he was Director of Sales for Maximo Solutions. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here. Matt, I'd also like to introduce Cohesive Solutions a little bit more. 
Cohesive has been in the EAM space for over 20 years with over 200 EAM projects. And they are an IBM business partner, similar to Fluke. Lots of collaboration there. They have deep industry subject matter expertise in business and work processes across multiple industries, including utilities, oil and gas, manufacturing, facilities management, aerospace and transportation and nuclear. And most importantly for today, they offer Propel, which is an award-winning solution that enables organizations to continuously improve and achieve operational excellence through better visibility of data and alignment of people, processes, and objectives. Absolutely the subject of the hour. So, one more question. I'd love to know how you two became collaborators. Matt and Kevin, how did this all start? So again, thank you for the opportunity here. I'll start off, this is Matt Midas. Uh, Kevin and I have known each other for quite some time now, and I think we both have the same view on the importance of data and maintenance operations. For me, it's all about trust in the data such that we are making informed decisions. Quality data allows us to have confidence in those decisions and to act quicker. Mm -hmm. If we're spending time reviewing data and investigating its validity, we are really wasting valuable time that we could be better spent uh, or that we could better spend bringing value to the organization in other ways. Right. When the data is aligned with our processes and objectives, we have better visibility of where we are in relation to our goals and objectives. I know you'd like to add to your thoughts on this one as well, Kevin. Yeah, Matt, I'm, I'm not really sure where... Um where we met, I, I sometimes I like to to remember that moment when we met, but um, in this case, I think it's been long enough that uh, I don't remember. Um, you and I, you and I spent a lot of time uh, in deep discussions about the business and and involved in lots of asset strategy sessions around the world, and and uh, um, you've been instrumental to uh, some of the things that. Uh, that I've either struggled with or was challenged with in the business and figuring out how to how to solve it. And so I've always appreciated that about you and then now with Cohesive um, in the business that you're in. Well, I think we're very fortunate to have both of you on deck today um, because you both care, you're both very passionate about useful data, actionable data for the manufacturing team. So let's get started. Um, and Kevin, I believe you're on deck. Yeah, thanks, Leah. Um, so it, it's it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, you know, we get to we get to talk about new stuff uh, because of what we've been going through in the last in the last month plus. Um, and I always try to make it a point now to to talk just a little bit about what are we going through. Um, you know, Matt and I both know that that we spend lots of time working with companies and and cultural um, challenges and barriers are are always top of the subject. And so we're we're as a as a uh, as a country and as as a world we're going through some ra really rapid cultural shifts. And whether they stick or not is uh, I think still to be. Um, still to be known um but how many of you um if not this is the first one but how many of you have been on something like this today right and where you you see your your colleagues the ones maybe you saw every single day in the office maybe tired of seeing every single day in the office and and this is now your only option for communication and i think i think none of us could have predicted that um just a few short weeks ago 
that uh, we would be in a situation where the only way we can communicate is either by phone or text message or email or this. Um, and, I, and oddly enough, this is becoming the preference. And being on video or being on a virtual um, environment like this, um, I would, would say the masses, it wasn't comfortable or natural. And I think in, in the few short weeks, it's becoming more um, uh, comfortable, maybe a stretch, but it's becoming more the norm. So basically, who would have thought that we'd be here? Uh, who would have thought that uh, this was our new norm? Uh, Matt, can we go to the next slide, please? So our topic today is data quality, um, and it's always been um, a priority. The problem is it's never been the thing that we were very good at. Um, and if you look at what Wikipedia says about um, uh, data quality, it says it's it's fit for its intended uses. Um, and that's true. But Wikipedia also says in the very same definition that uh, people's view on data quality can be different even when it's in this in the same context, even when it's the same discussion or the same asset or the or the same job plan, the quality of that data is based on perspective. And perspective isn't just how we look at it as individuals, where one person might have personal preferences about what is data quality, but also the role that they're in. So a maintenance technician might feel like data quality includes these things, while the manager thinks that these other things are data quality. And they can even get down to the level of a particular data point is data quality from different perspectives. So, you know, is that detailed enough? Do I have enough uh, zeros after the decimal point? And so data quality can change per data point as well. So I, I think it's, it's not only just trying to be objective about data quality, because I think data quality objectivity is subjective at best um, because of the different angles that we're coming to. So to make it all much more difficult, Matt, can you go to the next slide for me, please? So to make it that much more difficult, we're being asked to do more with less. In other words, and this has not just happened in the last few weeks from COVID, this has been happening in the last few decades where maintenance organizations are being asked to do more with less. So let's optimize, let's let's figure out how we can maintain an asset um, in, in a way that um, requires less maintenance time or less downtime. Um, and so what that does to us is it it's it's a continuous improvement process, but it, at the same time, it's it's taking a different approach to sustainability. And if you go back to data quality and the conversation we just had about the, in the in the last slide was that data quality is rather subjective by who's who you're talking to. Uh, same thing with sustainability. So if I'm talking about sustaining a particular asset. Um, my perspective about what is sustainable may be different than the reliability engineer, may be different than the maintenance engineer, may be different than the maintenance manager or even up in the decision maker um, 
path. So in essence, what we're trying to do now, um, especially in the last few weeks from a remote standpoint, is how do we get more disconnected data to become accessible data? And how do we get more multiple systems into a single system of record? Not that it's just a single system, but a single system of record so we can take multiple systems and be able to connect them all into a single system of record. How do we get the data that's only available in the office or the shop or the plant to be accessible anywhere uh, that we have connectivity? And then one of the biggest challenges we've had as ever since way back when we were first starting to develop software systems is how do we how do we shrink it down? How do we get it into something more manageable where I don't have all these different things that I have to go to in order to accomplish a single task. So I think I think at this point, I think we're going into uh, a poll question. And uh, Matt, did you want to go ahead and move to the next uh, slide? Thank you. Leah? Indeed. Um, audience, I am going to launch a poll for you now. And the purpose of this is we'd like to find out where you are vis-a-vis -vis today's topic. So the question is, where are you with condition monitoring? So take a moment to read and then select the one answer that is most applicable to your status. Obviously, it's not a perfect set of questions, but make it the most representative you can. I'm going to give everyone a minute or so to take a look. So the options are, I'm up and running and looking to expand. I am entering or planning for a pilot, a pilot program. I'm considering it. I'd love to do it, but I'm struggling with support from leadership or I'm not considering it at this time. So you have about half of you who voted already. I'm going to give it another 30 seconds. Take a moment, think about it, read the questions, and then we'll share the results with everyone. Where are you with condition monitoring right now? Excellent. Thank you very much, everyone. We're at about 75% participation, thank you. About 10 more seconds. All right, I'm going to close the poll at this point and share the results with you. So, Kevin and Matt, this is some interesting data here, speaking of data. So 33% of our audience is already up and running and looking to expand their condition monitoring program. 17% are in the pilot phase, 27% are considering it, 12% would love to, but they don't have the support, and 11% are not considering it this time. What do you think about that? How does that um, match what you generally see? So I, I see a split right there, um, and it's almost a 50-50. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's exactly 50-50. Mm -hmm. um, so we have 50% that are either in condition monitoring up and running or uh, starting a pilot program and the other 50 percent are either considering it or um, just not able to at mm -hmm. this time mm -hmm. that's actually um i wouldn't say that's in alignment with what i thought i thought we'd have a little higher percentage on involved in condition monitoring so that's the, to me that's there, there's a uh, I'm a bit surprised that we have 50% that just aren't there yet. Um, so well, that's actually good information. Yeah. Matt, any thoughts before I close the poll? 
No, I, I like the fact that they're 33% are up and running and looking to expand. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a good sign to me, and it's just an indicative of you know the advancements that we've made with technology as uh, over the years. Um, I, I did a lot of this stuff manually, so it's great <laughs> to see that, that people are really doing this and it's taking off because it does drive better results and it does drive better data. Agreed. Okay. I'm going to hide this poll now and give you back control of the slides. So, um, and Matt, can you hold on this for a second? Um, so, I, I did condition monitoring back in the 90s when we were building SCADA systems and, and that. And, and so this, um, it's, uh, that's why I guess it's a bit surprising that we're still at 50% that are involved and the other 50% still making decisions. Um, but I did it back when it was hard when SCADA systems were very difficult and expensive, the return on investment really wasn't there. It was mostly for the regulated piece of the business or regulated businesses that that uh, the return on investment was a little less important, but be, be becoming and staying regulated and uh, compliant um, was the really important piece. Uh, today, I wouldn't say it's easy, but I'd say it's incredibly much easier and more affordable return on investment pretty much for every industry out there so i, I big difference and i that's that shows to me huge opportunity to really get people involved in condition monitoring so now matt can we go to the, the next slide so, so what i've done in this slide is um it's a it was research done by mit uh, in their uh, school of management and I thought it was really interesting because it really shows where we, we are and where we are not. If you look at the top, you can see where the digital um, or companies are digitally engaged at the top. And down below, you can see where the, or the industries that are really not digitally engaged or struggling to be digitally engaged. And, and the one I really picked out was manufacturing. And at the bottom, uh, I don't want to say cesspool, but we're at the bottom of the pool. Um, and that says that we're not investing and we're nowhere near where we need to be in every category. Uh, we're not training our people to become uh, digitally engaged and, and at least to the level that gets them out of the bottom five compared to all these other industries. And you notice a lot of the industries that are, that are green are more um, retail, um and those that digital is really important and i think what it does for us today because of covid it really stresses the point that in order for us to be remote in order for us to do our jobs from anywhere um we have a lot of work ahead of us in our industries uh to get us to that point I think this this slide really stressed that uh, I didn't expect manufacturing to be in the bottom five. I kind of expected it to be a little little higher, but uh, when you put it in perspective of all the other industries, um, it really does make sense. Um, so anyway, uh, Matt, can you go to the next slide for me? Just looking at this slide, it might throw you off a little bit. Um, I went in a little different direction. It's something that I'm involved in, and I th I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's newsworthy for those of us that are um, in this space considering condition monitoring 
and the things that we feel, and the reason we're going after condition monitoring is because of the, the way we feel that we need to go to get achieve predictive and achieve prescriptive levels of maintenance. But this is a program that I'm involved in. Um, I'm on the Industrial Advisory Committee of Purdue University. And together with Fluke and Microsoft and um, PTC and Rockwell um, and others, we're developing this new Bachelor of Science degree called Intelligent Manufacturing. And I bring this up because it, it not only shows um, where the needs are, it also shows by this list of um, things that will be covered in this degree of either what's hot right now or what's coming. And so when I look at additive manufacturing and simulation, industrial internet of things, AI, big data, uh, cloud, mobile computing, augmented reality, systems integration, supply chain, autonomous systems, and cybersecurity. By the way, if I was going back to school, this would be what I'd go to school for. Um, this is this is all the cool stuff that's coming and already here in some ways. And so to see this type of a list that's um, going to be built into a program, a brand new bachelor's degree, tells me that the need is rising to the level that a, a top engineering university believes that it ought to be a four-year program. Um, they'd already started with some master's programs in, in this type of technology, but to, to build a bachelor's degree in this, um, I think is definitely a changing of the times and a turning point. Matt, can you take me to the next one, please? So here's something a little bit more, um, uh, what we would recognize in our space. So on the left-hand side, you see asset monitoring. These are the things that we would normally do. These are the things inside of condition monitoring that we would normally expect. Our sensors and and you know it could be any kind of sensor. It could be vibration, could be temperature, it could be thermal imaging, could be all those types of things. Actuators, cameras, proxies. Um, all of those things are things that we would normally do. And if you think back about condition monitoring, what we're trying to accomplish, we're trying to bring some variables together to create um, uh, an, an action, um, uh, a knowledge-based action. And so I, I like to think of it too as that, uh, that tribal knowledge that, that we have built into our people. Um, condition monitoring is that tribal knowledge um, built into sensors and actuators and that so that so that something that is happening on that asset we begin to detect it um, with the senses of these tools um, typically somebody with tribal knowledge that's been around that same piece of equipment for 20 years that can walk up to that machine and can touch it on the side and feel heat that person might know exactly what it is based on their experience and based on um, the things that have uh, that they've learned over the years uh, based on their senses. They could also hear uh, maybe the decibels are higher and it's a particular sound and they know what that particular failure is going to be. That's what we're building into our condition monitoring systems. And so if we don't have good data, if we don't have good quality data that's feeding back up and feeding that um, uh, that collection of data, uh, we're not going to have good results. 
so from there it moves into into what we call the IOT and a analytics. So that's that is your condition monitoring, that is your failure predictions and your maintenance responses to so the actionable um, uh, insights, um, and then any recommendations that are made for operations and maintenance. That leads us into then monitoring uh, for peoples and processes, monitor, impact, optimize, prioritize, and act, and then for performance indicators. Uh, you got reliability, availability, utilization, quality, production rate, production output. And what you're seeing is, is things starting to come together uh, from a technology standpoint. Back where we, where we said we had data that was disconnected and how we may need to make it connected. Because your data can come from anywhere. And up to this point, most of our data comes from our maintenance systems and sometimes just for, from our CMMS or EAM which may not be tied into the assets. And so that data is very finite. And so we have really important data in our ERP systems, in our financial pieces, in our production pieces, and in our inventory. We have incredible asset data locked away in that that we a lot of times just don't have access to when we're at the point of failure. And so we're starting to see all these things come together and give us full data for that asset in order to able to identify uh, failures as they happen. Matt, can you take me to the next slide, please? So what that brings us to, from a fluke standpoint, we look at it from three different ways. We look at it from data connectivity, we look at it from system connectivity, and we look at it from teams connectivity. Data connectivity is what we've been talking about up to this point, is how do I get data connected and connected in the right way and connected at the right quality in order to have um, good actionable insights. System connectivity is, is really just taking all of those systems that are sitting out there that may not be talking to each other. They could be in a cloud, they could be on-prem. Really, it's to some degree, it's irrelevant, but it's bringing all those systems together so that we have access to all the right data. And then Teams connectivity is us. Uh, those of us that are involved in maintenance and the operation is how do we bring the data and the systems to the team so that they're all working together so the the teams are talking to the to the systems and the systems are talking to the, to the teams and then we have a direct connection from the asset to the people matt can you take me to the final slide please so this final slide kind of sums it up for uh for the way that we look at condition monitoring and predictive technologies and and moving more and more towards prescriptive so back to connected data, connected systems, and connected teams. Our connected data is everything that we pull off the plant floor. It's everything that we're pulling in from other systems, disparate systems that, that may be monitoring things like building management systems and that. Um, our connected systems are here in the middle. So like I was talking about before is, is that tribal knowledge that we have built into people, we're beginning to take data off the plant floor and from other systems and start to build that knowledge so that we have a level of tribal knowledge right here in the middle in our connected systems. And our connected teams is how do we get them engaged? Maybe it's through work orders, maybe it's through inventory management, maybe it's through scheduling or asset management or enhanced workflows, but to begin to make that the teams feel real in the workflows that are happening inside of your business so that it's, um, everything was working collaboratively. 
And then once we have all that, the teams and the and the systems and the data all uh, flowing into um, the knowledge, then we can start building out the, that condition monitoring, the predictive analytics, and um, doing the really cool stuff like all the AI and the machine learning, um, so that it's seeing things that we as humans can't see. There's when there is that much data, that much time elapsed. Uh, the systems can see patterns that we won't see. And so it sees things coming prior to it actually happening because of what it's learned um, with all that data that's flowing in. And I've seen it over and over. And I think I think uh, as we talk about the data and the quality data that, that, that we're creating, or let's say not creating, um, those are the types of things that Matt's going to talk to you about. Matt's got a really uh, cool solution and, a, and an awesome perspective on on how we manage that and how we govern it. So with that, I will pass it off to Matt. Well, I think first we're going to run one more poll, and cool. I, I'm going to launch this now so that you can all have a vote. Do you think is more remote monitoring or other remote maintenance work likely in your future? more remote monitoring or other remote maintenance work likely in your future? If you had to select one, would you say most definitely? We've always had a strong remote practice. Or, yes, you've been moving in that direction anyhow. Or, there's a good chance of it based on what we're learning now, or probably not. And I definitely think that our perspective has changed. I've got someone in the back who needs to mute. I'm not sure who it is, but we'll have everyone check their audio button there we go all right so take another moment we want to get as much time back to our presenters but this is very a very interesting question so i'm going to give it just two more seconds and then we're going to close it and here are the results so 14 percent say most definitely we've always had a strong remote practice 49 percent say yes we've been moving that direction anyhow good 30 percent there's a good chance of it based on what we're learning now, and 6% probably not. Kevin, Matt, any thoughts on this? I, you know, it, Matt, I'm, I'm sure you've got an opinion on this. Um, this is exactly what I figured it would be, because I don't know how to split up the first three, uh, most mm. definitely 14%. But the, the next two, um, been moving in that direction anyway. I think we've all been moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there's a good chance of it based on what we're learning now. I think the now part is is the most important there. That uh, um, that those thirty percent thirty percent could have easily been in the probably not. Mm -hmm. um, but now with everything that's going on, uh, remote work is is always going to be pursued. I think from here on out. Yep. Matt? Yeah, I I agree with that statement, and and I would also add that you know this is another great driver for why we need to have more quality data, why we have to have good processes in place that will help drive that quality data. Uh, because we're working remotely, we're gonna be doing more. Think yeah. about, you're not, you're not traveling to, to a specific site, you're, you know, you're gonna get up in the morning and just start working remotely and get more stuff done. So, so again, uh, drives the, 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 the reason why we have to have better quality data. Good. Yeah, Matt, Matt, one more thing. I think I think it's important to note too that um, that not everybody is going to be able to um, work remotely. 
matter of fact, I mean, they just have to be on the on the work site. But I think right. the key is is that our technologies um, and maybe even processes that we develop over the over the coming years may make us more precise in the way that we actually do maintenance work so that we don't have to be places where we're not really required to be. A little more independent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hide these results and give control back to Matt. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity here to go through some of my slides here and, and give you some insights. So the first thing I'd like to start with is, is some food for thoughts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of articles out there on IoT, IIoT, the digital transformation, industry 4.0, um, and, and all these things. I found this, this article, Nuts and Bolts of Digital Transformation. It's uh, MIT Sloan Management Review. And when I first read it, I, I just put it down. I says, wait a second, this, this is blowing everything out of, uh, out of what I thought would happen. The first bullet point, new technologies have immediate and direct effects on performance may be a myth. I read that, I'm like, wait, this, this, this new technologies are supposed to have a direct impact. But when you start reading through the document, the, the article, it, it really starts to say that these new technologies, they'll have an indirect effect on the organizational performance, but what they will do is change the way we perform. Look at the last question. How many people are going to be doing things differently in, in light of what's been happening in the last few months? It's going to change the way we, we operate. The key thing here is that these changes in roles are going to drive improvement in the organizations, and we need to be able to track that through key performance indicators, through metrics, and we need to have a good tool to, to look at those changes and to be able to monitor the actual performance. So if we have an objective of expanding how much condition monitoring we're putting in place, how are we actually tracking that? Did somebody say we've got 28% or 25% of our assets right now, we're doing condition monitoring, we wanna add another 25%, the old quartile uh, uh, explanation. I would say that you know, for the folks who said 33% of their assets are under condition monitoring, those are probably uh, the, the, the 25 most critical, 25% uh, of the most critical assets that they started off with. Okay, makes sense. It's having an impact. It's changing the way we're doing business. We'd like to expand that. Okay. The other thing I'll add to this is that it, it's really the people are the foundation of any organization. And the processes that we put in place and the objectives that we have that we're trying to achieve are going to help the people actually improve the quality of that data that we're, we're gathering and we're, we're putting into place. Um, next slide used to where these change. The, the next slide here is, again, another article that was put out. This one's a little bit older. It was from 2016. Uh, it was from KPMG's Global CEO Outlook. 84% of CEOs are concerned about the quality of the data they're basing decisions on. Now that, that's a high number. And that tells me this is going right to the root cause. We're not confident in the data that we have. So if there's a lack of trust in the data quality, what do you think happens to the results? What do you think happens to the report that says, hey, we need to do this, boss. I don't have any confidence in, in that report because our data is not accurate. We have poor data quality, right? So, so these are the things that, that we have to look at. The other part of this is that when you have poor quality in the data, what do most people do? They export that data to an Excel spreadsheet or some other tool that they can use, 
and they start manipulating it. They start taking a deeper dive into the data and try to find out where things are wrong. Well, that alone with new technologies that, that we can have for, to improve the data quality or having better data plans in, that time that we spend doing those tasks, we're gonna recapture and we're gonna do something else. Maybe we're gonna start analyzing that data. So that's where that role change comes into play. People are gonna have role changes across different levels uh, as, as these new technologies are, are coming up. And this is a good thing for me because as, as Kevin mentioned, you know, he did things previously with SCADA systems. I did it with brute force, uh, you know, sledgehammers is, is how we got this through. I sent a guy out to a gauge to take the reading and we, we put it into Maximo and we started doing our own condition monitoring manually. And the improvements that we got out of that simple change were, were, were huge. Uh, we wanted to roll that out across the board, but you know, we just didn't have the simplicity, the ease of, of making all those connections with the data. So as I keep going here, <clears throat> sorry, my slides aren't advancing. Okay, here we go. Uh, all right, so so Kevin already brought up the data quality, and, and the thing about data quality is that it fits for its intended use, okay? There's a lot of different examples that we can give on that, but, but that's really the basic thing that we want to have, and it helps with the decision-making, okay? When we start talking about data confidence, it's really the, the level of trust that we can place in the data based on characteristics, okay? Uh, I might have the data in the system for measuring specific points, but that it, does it support the decisions I'll, I need to make? The example, the example that I'll give is, is in planning and scheduling. I've done a lot of planning and scheduling in, in my past life. Um, but you think about when we're putting together a plan for work that needs to be done, we look at how many hours of work we have in our backlog. Then we look at how many hours of available resources do we have when we start to match those up? Then we bring in criticality, we bring in different process lines, all the other things that we can bring in. But the bottom line is, if I have 80 hours of work to do for a welder, and I have 80 hours worth of welders available for the week, seems pretty simple, right? The question you gotta start asking yourself is, where's the 80 hours of work coming from? Is it from job plans? Is it tribal knowledge, as Kevin said? Is it just somebody throwing a dart on the wall and says it's gonna take that long? Okay, well, there's one question about the, the, the confidence of the data. The flip side of that is I have 80 hours worth of resources available. Well, do I know if somebody's on vacation that week? Do I know if somebody has a doctor's appointment? Do I really know how many hours I truly have available? So those two things coming together is the reason a lot of people don't plan to 100% because they're just, they don't have the confidence in, in, what, in what they're looking at. So, so that's the difference between the quality and the confidence of the data. Uh, another example that we have is, and sorry about the noise in the background, uh, but when we talk about this, the one thing that we, we all often overlook is the alignment side. And what I mean by alignment is, what are we actually doing and is it in line with what our goals and objectives are from an organizational perspective? So once we have alignment on our measures, the data quality and the data confidence, we get more trustworthy information. Now we start to, to trust the results, we start to take action based on those, those results. If you look at the simple example I have here, the alignment would be uh, for critical work orders completed on time, the alignment would be the measures got to disclude 
non-maintenance work orders, but it has to include all of the PMs and CMs. From a quality perspective, it's got to have a scheduled finish date and an actual finish date. From a confidence perspective, we've got to have the hours in there. In this particular case, we want to look at priority. So food for thought here, I'll leave you with this quote from Edwards, uh, W. Edwards Stemming. Uh, he, he's got a lot of great information out there, a lot of great, great quotes, but he says, in God we trust, all others must bring data. Okay. When we start to look at the, the, the deeper side of this, how are we going to ensure data quality is driving our, our maintenance practices? Uh, the graphic I have here, I, I could spend a whole day talking through this, but the key thing here to remember is the alignment right across all of these different phases of what we should be doing stated goals and objectives clearly defined processes process and data alignment data strategy to drive the quality and confidence align metrics baselines and targets actual kpis and follow-through okay what we're talking about here is is having all of this aligned so that when we get to the point of collecting data we know that data that we're collecting is in line with what our, our goals and objectives are. When we define those processes, those processes incorporate the objective plus the data. How many of you guys have been out there and, and you're sitting there collecting all this data on an asset, on a clipboard, on a mobile device or whatever, and you never see the results of that data? And you question, why am I doing it? I, I don't know what they're doing with all this data I'm collecting. That's a misalignment. Okay, so these are all things that, that become very, very important as, as we go through here. So next slide here, with all this data out here, data, 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 it's everywhere, right? You need, absolutely need a data strategy or a master data management plan. If you don't have one, ask about it. If, if, if you don't know about it, if you, don't, if you think you have one, but you don't have the details, start asking those questions and find out. You also need more powerful tools to display the data such that it is meaningful and actionable. It's great to have all this data, but if it takes you hours, days to, to, to compile it and figure things out, that's wasted time. And as, as Kevin said, we got to do more with less. If we're spinning our wheels trying to figure things out with, with the data we have, that's, that's not value add to the organization. You'll also need to have people who can manage and analyze the data more efficiently and effectively. That goes back to that role change. Uh, I, I, I've talked to quite a few people in the industry and I'm starting to see titles that reflect data analysis or, or you know, asset data lead uh, was, was one title that I just saw. So, so that's important. It's, it's starting to be a bigger thing and we, we've got to make sure we're cap capturing all that data and we're capturing it properly. Final point here is st uh, static reports. They just don't provide the insight you're gonna need. Static reports are great, you still need them, but they don't give you the insight into the data that helps you make better decisions. The graphic that I have here, again, this is another research uh, uh, article that was done by VDC Research. This one struck me uh, uh, really hard because if you look at the, the, the topic, it's top tasks to increase investments in for IoT development or solution development needs and skill sets. What's the top one? Analytics, big data management or analysis. Again, it, it, this is hitting home. As we do more of these things, we have to have people that know how to analyze the data. We have to have a, a, a data management plan so that we're, we're better with what we're actually doing. So some common challenges when we start thinking about these uh, uh, data plans, how, what we need to put in place, how we're gonna overcome this. 
think about these and just let me know or think to yourself, yep, that's that that's me. I deal with that on a regular basis or, you know, I got some more for you. If you have other things that you want to add, send them in the comments. I'll, I'll be happy to add to this. But some common cha challenges. No formal plan on how to manage master data. That shouldn't be a huge one that's out there. Everybody should have some sort of plan, but if you don't, that, that could be a problem. Lack of guidance from leadership on master data management. Increasing amounts of data with no objective or quality-driven purpose. Again, we're gonna get out in the field with mobile devices, handheld technologies where we can start to collect so much data, we've gotta have a plan for it. We've gotta have purpose for some of that data so that when we run our reports, we're using it. I read, a, I read an article some time ago that the amount of data that we're creating, uh, it's, it's gone up astronomically since, uh, since the, the mid 90s. But they, they say that less than a half a percent of the data that we collect, we actually use for anything. That to me is mind boggling. Lack of confidence in the data uh, available in our enterprise systems. Again, if you've had a system in place for over 10 years, has anybody ever gone in and looked at the data on the assets? Has anybody ever said, you know, we need to change some of this stuff. We've got to fix some of these uh, anomalies in our data. And then lack of data alignment requirements to the organizational goals and business processes. That's that's another big one that, that people miss a lot of times. Again, our goal is this. Maybe it's uh, reducing safety by uh, safety incidents by 10%. And maintenance management might have something in their process that says, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna cut down on some of these safety plans we're putting into place. That's a huge misalignment between operational goals and, and what we're doing process-wise. So let's, let's get to the chase here on, on what we need to do for this. So how to ensure data quality? Again, the first thing that we've got to do is we have to have a data strategy or a master data management plan. What, what does that encompass? Well, it's, it's identifying what data we need, defining or definition of the data elements, value lists, naming conventions, continuous improvement process. When we, when we think about these individual things, think about a work order. What do I need on a work order to have quality data in the system? How do I need to uh, uh, understand my assets? When I bring a new asset on board, what data am I collecting? Where is it coming from? How is it getting into the system? Do we have a plan? Do we have a process to identify all the spare parts, identify all of our uh, uh, job plans, the, the PMs that are associated with it? Do we have all that identified? Is that part of our master plan and are we getting it into the system? Very important as well as when you decommission an asset, are you removing those things? That's gonna help maintain quality data. Identify what objectives and processes are critical. Again, back to the, the critical assets. When you start down these roads, you're not gonna throw everything in the mix to, to, to take action on. You might start off with your most critical assets first. And then as you see the results uh, move out to, to other assets. Identify what, uh, what data is needed to measure and monitor those objectives and processes. Identify what a good record looks like and identify initiatives for improvements. That's the continuous improvement part. Uh, and I will tell you, if, if, if nobody is looking at your data, you probably have some holes in the data. You probably have some not too high quality data. Uh, job plans especially. Uh, once you create a job plan, it's never really done. There's always room for improvement. Do you do measures against plans versus actuals? That's a great way to see how you're going to start saving time. The other thing to think about is when we when we fully launch into condition monitoring, 
we're going to have our assets telling us when to do work. If our job plans aren't right, that's a problem. Jump over to the next slide here. So let's talk a little bit about the, the performance management side of this as well, because this, this is important. Uh, performance management from Wikipedia, it's, it's a process of ensuring that a set of activities and outputs meets an organizational goals in an effective, efficient manner. You can focus on organization, department, and processes. This is a key thing. We try to help organizations treat those processes as if they were assets, right? And that's going to help improve the data quality further as, as we go forward. Uh, this is It's driven from the top. So that's from Wiki, Wikipedia. I'll add to that that it's not just about measuring, but it's about taking action and looking for areas to improve. There's always improvement that can be made. Once you finish one thing, there's more improvement that you can take on. So if you got to keep that continuous improvement process going. And also it's a key part, a key element of operational excellence. Okay, I'm going to jump to some examples of how to see the data visualize. In, in this particular example, we're looking at performance management dashboards. Okay, this is taking the data that we have and really taking a finer, closer look at it. This first example, we're just looking at all of our assets by class. We have operating, decommissioned, and not ready. Okay, so that tells me some good thing, things. I've got, I've got quite a few assets, and they, they all look like they're in the operating uh, uh, point. When we flip this over to the next graph, we're looking at unknown assets or assets with an unknown class, critical class, non-critical, and then run to fail. Okay. When we look at these numbers, what we're actually looking at, the, the blue represents all assets for that specific uh, category. So unknown, we've got just under 7,500. Okay. With no PMs. Okay. That's fine. We don't know what they are. Maybe they shouldn't have PMs. Critical assets, we've got probably about 6,000, 6,500 critical assets. Uh, ones with PMs, we have just around 6,000. So what are these here that don't have any PMs? These are the, this is the visible side, the visibility side of, of the data that we've got in our systems. This is the thing that we can start taking action on. Non-critical assets, okay, that's probably all right with this many that don't have uh, any PMs, but look at this, run to fail. What do we do in PMs on run-to-fail assets? Maybe they are accurate, but that's something to consider. We've got a lot of run-to-fail uh, assets, but we, we have some of those that still have PMs. The final graph over here takes a look at what does good look like. So this is an asset record with attributes, and this just we have uh, five different attributes that we're looking at. Manufacturer, model number, serial number, installation date, warranty date. So these are all the assets that don't have manufacturers, right? Just less than 50% don't have a manufacturer on the asset. Jump over to this one, no warranty date. If, if we're trying to improve the, the warranties on our assets or, or take advantage of warranties on our assets, why do we have uh, almost 100% almost of our assets without warranty dates? So these are the things, again, that drive, that show us that how our data is impacting our business and how we can try to improve that data. So with performance management dashboards, uh, they allow you to visualize your data. They allow you to configure the views such that you can track your initiatives, and they allow you to take action based on the data that, should, that you actually have in your system. Okay, so very, very important pieces there. If I jump to the next slide, this is uh, the conclusion. I want to give you guys some uh, a few minutes to ask questions, but 
Ensuring data quality drives maintenance procedures. So the things that we need to do, we need to make sure we have develop a data strategy or master data management plan, have somebody that knows this stuff, have somebody that's responsible for it that you can go to, have somebody that knows how to analyze the data, very key things that role change again. Align people and processes with your organizational goals and objectives. Again, that's going to ensure that what our people are doing is in line with what the organizational goals are and is reflected in the processes. Okay. Understand your current data and have a plan to improve it. Right now, today, I know my data is not that good. We're in a very reactive state. I don't have a ton of time to fix data, so I'm going to focus on this part of the data first. Again, critical assets. What's driving? What drives our is industry or business? What's most important to us? And it's going to change if you're in a facilities, if you're in a, a higher education, if you're in a manufacturing, if you're in oil and gas. Those assets are going to change, and the way we treat them is going to change. So understand your current data. Transform trustworthy data into actual information, again, through visibility, uh, understanding what you're looking for, understanding what the metrics are showing, and understanding where you need to take action. Define a process to review the data on a regular basis. That's your continuing, uh, continuous improvement. Manage the continuous improvement initiatives to achieve your targets. Again, if I see something that's wrong, maybe it's looking at the uh, uh, plan versus actual numbers to improve job plans. Well, take the top 10 job plans that are, that are uh, anomalies and say, I, those are the ones I'm going to approve. Have something in place to measure that initiative and show track where you are and, and the, the finalization of it. And then operationalize and automate performance management. Again, if we're spending a ton of time digging through the data, trying to find what makes sense, trying to get to the right point, it is wasted time. If we can oper operationalize that and automate those reports so that we can see them on a daily basis, you know, hour by hour, however you want to see it, that's going to be a, a key thing to think through and, and try to achieve. With that, I'm going to leave it open for questions, uh, contact information for myself and Kevin, um, and, and I'll turn it back over to you, Leah. Thank you so much. And I want to encourage everyone to go ahead and reach out to both Kevin and Matt. Uh, we have some questions in and please take a moment now to use your questions tool to type in more questions for Kevin and Matt. We'll get to as many as we can right now. And if we don't answer them all, we'll follow up in writing. So the first one I want to throw out there is for Kevin. Uh, John says that you spoke about ROI being easy to show today but some people still struggle with that. So how were you successful in quantifying ROI, Kevin? Yeah, um, so return on investment's kind of that uh, elusive beast. It depends on on what the ROI is based on. So one thing I could have been a little bit more specific about is, is our more critical assets tend to show a higher return on investment versus our lower criticality assets little bit more difficult to show a return on investment depending on the maintenance methodology that you use um, but with the decline in um, costs of buying a sensor the decline in and um, buying software where you can buy it more from a, a SaaS based uh, solution that's becoming more economical that's really where my comment came from about the return on investments much easier today to um, to justify than it was 25 and 30 years ago when when 
everything was brand new. Everything was disconnected in some sense. And the ability to uh, deploy the software was um, was not the easy button as we came out with and uh, um, not the uh, uh, instant install. But uh, these days with cloud and, and the advanced technologies and, and the uh, economical prices, return on investment is much, much easier to justify. Okay, fair enough. This next question could be for either of you. Imad asks, uh, so sometimes offline measurements are inaccurate and for a variety of reasons, you know, errors and temperature variation, but uh, clients can or, or management can still be reluctant to switch to online real-time measurements. So what are s some suggestions to encourage management to switch over to a more accurate real-time measurement system? Well, for, for, for me, uh, uh, the more accurate we can get, the better we are. So, so if there's something that we're using that is not as accurate as it could be based on different conditions, and and I know uh, years ago there there was interference in in uh, you know based on the, the wireless networks that were in place in some some industries, uh, there was just all kinds of different interference. So that did drive inaccuracies, and it 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 pushed people to you know collect the data themselves on on maybe a handheld device. But if there is a better tool or a better uh, uh, device that you can use, that would be enough to drive the, the going to that uh, that newer device. I, I hope I got the question uh, right from you, and if that helps. Hey, can, I, can I add something to that, Leah? Mm -hmm. um, the, the one thing I would add is, is that um, with, with a lot of the new technology, we can rethink a lot of the ways that we capture the data. Um, Sometimes we think that we need every um, every data point um, that comes off that particular asset. Like I want it every half second, um, yeah. and I want it to be incredibly accurate. But with the new technologies and the way we look at things, a lot of times with with Edge, we can do things like just just send me a notification when the temperature changes more than a half a degree. Right. And you know if and if we have technology like that, we're really minimizing the bandwidth, we're minimizing our costs, we're minimizing the, the extensive amount of data coming back to us in our systems. Um, so it, it allows us to rethink, do I really need that accuracy or do I just need the point of change to come back and notify me of, of, of a change in condition? And we actually have multiple questions in here about what is the right amount of data, what's too much, uh, how do you know when you've gotten to data overload? Is that going to impact your problem? Um, big data versus targeted data. So do you guys have a standard way of guiding the correct quantity of data? Matt, let me, let me go first. I, yeah, let, me, let me go first real quick because I have, I have an experience from yesterday. Uh, I was on a, meet, on a, a virtual meeting um, uh, with... Um, with probably one of the most well-known analytics companies in the world. And so the question was not, can I collect this data, this data, and that data? It's if I connect to that PLC, can I collect it all? With no regard to um, how much that's gonna overload my yeah. databases or the cloud or the bandwidth, right. no regard to that whatsoever. So. 
I think I think it's those are those are difficult questions. But I think to my earlier point is we can rethink now because of technology. We can rethink of how often do I really need that data? If it's just once a day, I mean that's no that's nothing on my bandwidth. That's nothing on my database. We need to be careful that we don't overload systems and begin to slow them down. But but those are those are architecture strategies that you build internally and also. I think it's really important that people go back to the basics too, and they perform their FMEAs and their FAMICAs and their criticality analysis to make sure that they're only going out to capture data that is relevant to a potential failure, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that helps streamline the data that you're collecting. So you, you you don't you don't go away from the basics. You still go after the basics to understand what I need to collect, and then let's go look at our technology and our processes and, and find relevant means of, of capturing that data. But anyway, sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to jump in there. I was just thinking of that personal thing that happened to me yesterday. That, that That's perfect. And the, the only thing that I would add to that, you, you mentioned the relevant. Um, to, to me, there is a lot of data out there. Uh, to me, the biggest thing is what are we doing with the data? So when I talk about a data strategy or your master data management plan, it may be overkill, but I, I say if you are going to collect data, have a definition of what the data is and how you're going to use it. And if you can't define what it is or how you're going to use it, do you really need it? And and that's, I mean, that's that's the role of big analytics, big data analytics, right? Someone's going to be doing this, and someone's going to need to track through this. Now, there are things where, okay, I got, I got. 10,000 elements, 10,000 data elements, and I want to crunch it through some, some, you know, big computer or whatever. I don't know. But there's things that, that that's good for. But when we look at this in the maintenance world, understand what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish, and define what the data needs are around that and make sure everybody in the organization understands that. I've talked to customers who, who this, this facility, two different facilities, they use the same field in their CMMS or EAM for different purposes. What good is that? That's a lack of alignment. That's a lack of a, of a process defined for how we're using the data within the organization. So if you if there's two different uses for data, have two different fields and make sure that's known throughout the organization. So again, there is a lot of data out there. Have an understanding for what you're going to do with the data and show show the results, show reports or, or metrics based on that data that you're collecting. Exactly. We are unfortunately out of time for more questions. Thank you everyone who entered them and we will get back to you with answers. Please take a note of Kevin's and Matt's email addresses there. You're welcome to follow up with them. And then Matt, if you'll forward to the next slide. When I close the webinar here in just a moment, a survey will pop up and we'd really appreciate it if you could take the time, everyone, to give us feedback on today's webinar as well as topics you'd like to see us address in the future. And with that, I'm going to conclude today's presentation. Thank you so much, both Matt and Kevin, for your time today. This was fantastic. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for everyone for joining. All right. If uh, and a reminder, we will be sending out a copy of the slides to everyone, especially if you answer the survey. Uh, so you should see that coming from us shortly. Thank you again for your time today, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.